Well, good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing on this first Sunday of December? You believe the year's almost over? Unbelievable that this year has gone by so fast, but I'm so happy to have you all here this morning as we worship God, as we prepare for uh, celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you as we go through this Advent season and through every day and every week, just uh, remember those on our prayer list that, uh, that you see. Uh, we, are, we are praying for healing. We are praying for uh, just all different kinds of things that are going on in people's lives, maybe that they aren't even really talking that much about. But we know that there are needs. We know that there are struggles that people are facing. And especially at this time of year, we tend to remember those uh, people remember those struggles a little more acutely, but let's do that every day of the year because as Christians Christmas should be every day of the year the, the day of Christ's coming the day that he brought us hope the day that he brought us peace Back in 2002 uh, Wendy and I had been married for a couple of years and We decided that we wanted to start a family and uh, so we had a little conversation. We both wanted to have a couple of children. I only wanted two, which I declared at our wedding reception. It is on video. Somebody said to have lots and lots of babies. And I said, two, <laughs> two babies. And, and I don't know if Wendy agreed with that or not, but that's what we ended up with. So I, I win. Um, <laughs> We started trying to get pregnant, and it didn't really take us all that long before Wendy got pregnant with Tom, uh, who isn't here today, so I get to talk about him as much as I want. But he was due in July of 2003, and we spent the, the next month, six, seven, eight months, trying to get things ready. And we bought the crib and the diaper pails and the diapers and the baby clothes and the changing table. And we had baby shower and we did all of these things, went to all of our appointments together. And uh, we heard our, uh, Tom's heartbeat for the very first time. Parents, you remember hearing the heartbeat for the very first time and how exciting that was and also how terribly frightening <laughs> that was. But about uh, two weeks uh, before Wendy, yes, this is, this is Wendy, she is pregnant with um, what appears to be some sort of a sphere-like uh, object. But we went to our uh, routine appointment. Uh, the appointment was at the, happened to be at the hospital, that's where the doctor was that day. And it was a Wednesday morning and that's when the doctor told us that we have no more time that Tom is, it needs to be delivered because he was just so, in, just incredibly large. Um, but that wasn't a problem, right? We had the crib, we had the changing table, we had all of this stuff. And all we had to do really is call our jobs and tell them uh, we're starting our, our leave a little bit early, which they kind of figured might happen. And we let them know the baby was coming and, and we were gonna start our leave that day. And of course, uh, he did not come that day. Uh, nothing happens. The doctor kept coming in, kept checking. Nope, nothing's happening, nothing's going on. Get to be the end of the day, and the doctor finally comes in and says, well, we're just, we're, we'll give it overnight, and if it doesn't happen overnight, then we'll induce labor, um, and, and we'll do that the next day. So we stayed in the hospital, and I went and got Subway, and we watched Survivor, and nothing happened all that night. So they came in in the morning, they induced Wendy, and still nothing happened. 
for like hours and hours and hours. It was like four o'clock in the afternoon before, uh, before Tom was actually born, but uh, right then we had our little bouncing baby boy. And we were ready, man. We had everything ready. We were all set. And then he started crying, and we were like, what are we doing? <laughs> but up until then, we were ready. Now, 10 years later, uh, in 2010, we had some friends. We had a growth group in our, in our home, and we had some friends over. We were doing a Bible study. And this one couple who um, were older than us, probably what, by about 10 years or so, uh, made an announcement. Uh, they told us, uh, well, first of all, they already had some children. They had two boys. One was in college, one was 17, just getting ready to graduate in like months. And they told us they were pregnant. The first things out of their mouth was, we were almost done. <laughs> and now they're pregnant. And did you know that vasectomies are not 100% effective? <laughs> Because they got pregnant 10 years later and they, just, they figured out, they found out they were gonna have a little girl and they were most certainly not ready for anything. They didn't have anything. They didn't have the crib and the changing table. They sold all that stuff. They didn't need it anymore. And I just, I, I was thinking about, I couldn't think about how nerve wracking and how stressful that was gonna be. I mean, you, you have in your mind that you're almost done, the kids are almost out, and you're gonna have this, this parental freedom, and we don't like to talk about it in front of the kids, but kids, yes, we think about the parental freedom that comes when the kids move out, and then we just don't have a lot to, to do. It's great. But I just couldn't imagine with these, they're almost grown kids, and now they're gonna have a little baby. And they didn't even have the kids, the kids weren't even going to be in the house to help. I didn't know what was going to happen. But this morning, uh, we're going to look at another couple. And this couple certainly was unprepared to hear the news that they were going to have a baby. And we read about this couple in Matthew chapter 1 and in Luke chapter 1. And uh, this morning, we're going to start in Luke chapter 1. And we're starting in verse 26. In the sixth month, and the sixth month, this is, uh, the writer Luke is talking about the sixth month of the pregnancy of Elizabeth. Elizabeth was Mary's relative. And we hear that story first in Luke 1, and then he writes, in the sixth month. So we're continuing this story six months later. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So we get a whole lot of information in just this one paragraph here. First, we see that Gabriel's coming to this, it, they call it the uh, uh, city of Galilee, which it was, it was a big city. And in that city, there was this tiny, tiny little town called Nazareth. And Nazareth was not considered a nice place. If it was considered at all, people just had nothing but bad things to say about it. In fact, uh, when the soon-to-be apostle Philip came to Nathaniel after he met Jesus, he said, we have found the Messiah, and he is Jesus of Nazareth. Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come from Nazareth? It's kind of like, you know, Baltimore fans saying, can anything good come from Pittsburgh? Really? 
horrible is that? But he talks about this place, and, and he talks about it with derision. In that time, Nazareth was this tiny, tiny, little insignificant town. And archaeologists have found the town, and they suggest that it was about four acres big. That's all it was, four acres of land, and there were about 50 houses. And the 50 houses, that, that's not too bad. It was like 3,500 square feet per person, right, to have their homes. But the houses were populated by poor but devout Jews. And they know they were devout Jews because there was a synagogue there. But it was mostly people by poor people. And these were, other, these were the Jews that other Jews would likely consider to be hicks. Have you ever heard that term, right? They're from a hick town. This was Nazareth. The town and its inhabitants, if they were ever thought about, were considered completely unimportant. Nobody ever really talked about Nazareth. And Gabriel comes. This is, a, this is a, a, a picture of what they think Nazareth looks like. Really, really tiny town. And Gabriel comes to visit Mary, who was a betrothed virgin. And women in the first century were of marrying age. Uh, right around the same time they were of childbearing age. So about 12 to 14 years of age. So Mary was 12 to 14, we think, when Gabriel came and visited her. And her betrothed was a man named Joseph, who we see in the passage comes from the lineage of King David. And of course, the Old Testament abounds with all kinds of prophecies that talk about the, the Messiah coming from the lineage of David. But we don't know a whole lot about Joseph. We can piece things together from the Gospels and the things that we, that we can read. But one thing that we know about Joseph, probably the most important thing, is that Joseph was a loving and kind-hearted man. And we get that impression because we read in Matthew chapter 1 when Joseph discovers that Mary is with child. And he knows that the child is not his. We read in Matthew chapter 1, verse 19, her husband Joseph being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now in the first century, divorce was a very public thing. It, there, people would gather around in the streets to watch a divorce. Joseph didn't want that. Joseph actually loved Mary, his betrothed. He didn't want to see her put to shame or worse. So he decided that he was going to divorce her quietly. And of course, we'll read a little bit later what happened after he made that decision. But we also know that Joseph was fiercely protective of his family because Joseph was told in a dream by an angel, that King Herod, the king at the time, was looking to kill all of the male children in the area, age two and under. And we read in Matthew chapter 2, verses 14 to 15, Joseph rose and he took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. He didn't wait. He didn't look to see if it was true. He just got up. He said, my, children, my child, my wife are in danger. We're getting out. And they escaped to Egypt before the killing started. 
And then when the angel told Joseph that Herod was dead and that he could return to Israel, we read in Matthew 2, and 23, when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to a district of Galilee and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, his hometown. He was fiercely protective of his family. And of course, we read that Joseph was a carpenter. Uh, we know this in Matthew chapter 13, verse 55, when the people of Nazareth were listening to Jesus teach. And when Jesus was teaching, they had some really kind of choice words to say about Jesus. And they say in Matthew chapter 30, uh, 13, verses 55 to 56, is this not the carpenter's son? Is his mother not called Mary? Are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? Even the people of Nazareth considered Nazareth to be nothing. How in the world did Jesus learn all of this wisdom and all of this knowledge coming from Nazareth? coming from a family whose father was nothing more than a skilled laborer. I mean, look at all of his brothers and sisters. They're dumb too. Why? What, what's going on here? So we learn all of these things about Joseph in, in these just tiny little passages that a lot of times we might have a tendency to miss if we don't look for them. But we learn these things. And, and what do we learn from what we know about Mary and Joseph? From a worldly perspective, Mary and Joseph are the two most least likely people to be chosen by God to raise his son. That's what we learned. They're poor. They're not tremendously intelligent. They come from a backwater town that nobody has ever heard of. Why would God even decide to talk to those people? Why wouldn't they go to somebody of influence? Why wouldn't they go to a king or uh, somebody who owned a lot of land or somebody whose name was known all over the country? They were nobodies. They were wholly unimportant in the world's eyes. But they had one quality that God wanted in a couple that was gonna raise his son. They believed. They had faith. They believed in a Messiah that would eventually come to Israel and they believed in love and kindness and that those things were more important than keeping up social appearances. They believed that the visitors that they encountered prior to Jesus' birth were actually angels, or one angel really, the angel Gabriel. But they believed that he was who he said he was. God sought out Mary and Joseph because of their faith. And we continue to read in Luke chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 28. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And you notice Mary wasn't greatly troubled that it was an angel talking to her. 
I would have been greatly troubled if it was an angel standing in front of me and talking to me. Mary wasn't troubled by that. She was just perplexed by what he said. What do you mean, oh favored one, the Lord is with me? What does that even mean? And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So Mary hears all of this. She hears this news that she is going to become pregnant, and not only become pregnant, but she's going to carry the Son of God, the Messiah, the one who's coming from the line of David to rescue Israel. Now I want to ask the, the mothers in, in, in this room a, a question. What do you think your reaction would have been to this news? <laughs> Even some of the girls are like, no way! I'm not, I'm, I'm, go someplace else, angel. I'm not, no, I don't want to do this. How many of you would have been a little freaked out? How many of you would have been a lot freaked out? Yeah. I imagine if I, and I'm not a woman, but I imagine if I were a woman, that's how I might feel. Or I might have felt that way when Joseph was visited by the angel, just kind of really freaked out. But look at Mary's response here. Mary's response wasn't a response of freaking out. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Mary hears the news that she is going to get pregnant with the Son of God. And she didn't freak out as much as one might imagine that she would. She had a question. She didn't say, no, you've got the wrong girl, go find somebody else. This question, how will this be since I am a virgin? This is not a question of disbelief. This is not a question of, yeah, right. This is a question of, how's God going to do that? How's God going to do that? I'm a virgin. I've never, I've never been with a man before. How's God going to do this? It was purely a question of curiosity. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. So the angel wants to reassure Mary that this all is true, and what he's basically saying is, you can go and visit Elizabeth and see what happened with her. And she did later. But you can go and see the evidence. People, a lot of times, they want to say, well, I want to see the evidence before I believe. There's the evidence. Elizabeth is like 90-something years old, and she's pregnant. She's never had a child in her life, and she's going to have a child. There's the evidence. And Mary hears all of this. And Mary says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This Advent, we're turning our attention to this idea of untangling Christmas. 
and we get wrapped up in a lot of all of these things that are going on. And I know a lot of people in the world are looking for reasons why this stuff can't possibly be true. And I was read I mean, I was even reading scientific journal articles this week of people trying to say what else it could be other than the power of God giving Mary a child. And some of the theories were just probably more outlandish than just believing that God could give a child to a virgin. But this is what happens in our world. We, we have these people looking for all of these answers when we already know the truth, when we already know what happened. And we lit this second Advent candle this morning, the one that represents peace. That was the very last word of that passage in Micah. He will bring you peace. It's also sometimes called the Bethlehem candle. And it represents the peace that Jesus brought at his birth. And we read in Micah that Bethlehem was nothing. It couldn't even be counted among the kingdom of Judah. It was so small and so insignificant, just like Nazareth. But if we read the story of Mary and Joseph, and we start to untangle this story from all of the other things that people are trying to tell us or people are trying to deny us, we find that Joseph and Mary were not afraid. A lot of times we'll watch movies or we'll see things, plays or things like that where Mary and Joseph like fall on their knees and tremble and, and are just completely frightened. And I don't read that in these passages. Mary had a logical conversation with an angel. She asked questions. She got her questions answered. And then she said, yes. This was not a woman who was trembling in fear. And even as Gabriel and Mary told, or Gabriel told Mary and Joseph, do not fear, he wasn't talking about do not fear. He was talking about don't be afraid of what this is going to look like to the rest of society. The fear that Gabriel's talking about is of this outward appearance. In Matthew 1.20, Gabriel tells Joseph, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Do not be afraid to do that. What he's saying is the world's going to have some stuff to say about what God is doing. Don't fear what the world says. Trust God, and God will give you peace. Don't worry about what the world thinks it looks like. Focus on God. You, Mary and Joseph, who have come from this backwater, hick town that nobody knows and nobody respects. Joseph, you're a carpenter, but you have a heart that God longs for, a heart of love and kindness and protection of your family. Mary, you have an incredible gift of faith. And your faith even overshadows the logic with which you bring to things. You have good questions and you're seeking good answers. These are the people that God chose. By the time Gabriel had visited Mary and Joseph and Mary and Joseph had finally 
come together as a married couple and they had an opportunity to talk about all this. The next thing we read is they go to Bethlehem and have a baby. We don't read anything about them being scared. We don't read about anything about them being angry with each other or confused or upset or anything. All we read is that they believed and they acted on their beliefs. They knew God would be with them. When Mary went to visit Elizabeth, the baby that was in Elizabeth, John the Baptist, leaped for joy. And Mary knew that that was the Holy Spirit being excited that Jesus was near. They knew all of these things. And even when they came to Bethlehem and they found no room, they set themselves up in a barn. Because that's who Joseph was. Joseph was a we're going to do what we got to do kind of person. I'm going to do what I have to do to make sure that my wife and my child are as protected as possible. And they set themselves up in a barn. And the baby came. Joseph set out the manger, put in some fresh hay so it was nice and warm, laid the baby in it after they swaddled him up. All of these things show us, if we will open our eyes and see it, two people that have experienced the peace that Micah wrote about in his prophecy. They've experienced the peace of God that passes all understanding. And that peace was alive in their hearts. It was alive in their minds. And as we prepare our own hearts and our own minds for the celebration of Christ's birth this Advent season, I have to ask a question. Are we afraid? Are we worried about sharing the story of Christ's birth because we'll be called fanatics? Or worse yet, fanatics used to be the bad word in the 70s and 80s. Now you'll just be called intolerant. Is that what we're afraid of? Are we afraid of being called intolerant? If we've come to faith in Jesus Christ and we strive to live like him, we know the truth. We know that this passage of scripture is the truth that Jesus was born of a virgin. That Jesus came to give us peace and that Jesus gave to, came to give us eternal life and re uh, reconciliation with God the Father. If I could paraphrase the angel Gabriel for a moment, do not be afraid, morning hour chapel, to tell those in your life about the reason for the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we cease to be God's enemy. And we're adopted into his family. We become his children when we declare that Jesus Christ came, was born, and died and rose again to save us and to give us eternal life. And if you're sitting here this morning and you don't yet know that peace, if you don't yet know the relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to invite you this morning. Consider what we're talking about here. 
Be as logical as Mary. Ask the questions that you need to ask. And ask them until you are satisfied. The answers are there. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ, His Son. And those are not my words. Those are the words of Jesus Himself. And that is not intolerance. That is truth. If you're ready to receive His hope and His peace, I want you to pray this morning that God will forgive you of your sins. And I want you to make it your life's purpose to live for God by being Jesus Christ's disciple and living the words that He has got given to us. And if you already know the peace and the hope of Jesus Christ, please don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to tell people who Jesus is. It's not intolerant. It's giving them the truth and the chance to experience peace with God. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for this time that we are able to come together and worship you. Father, we worship you in spirit. We worship you in truth. We ask that you would give us strength through the Holy Spirit to cut through all of the entanglements of this season. to empower ourselves to speak truth, to tell people who Jesus is, why he came, why his birth was so very important. <coughs> Father, we ask that you take fear away from us. Fill us with your peace. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we're going to be taking communion. In communion we commemorate the death of Jesus Christ, the body and the blood of Jesus as they were broken on the cross and his blood was spilled for us. But as we take communion this morning, let us use this time to remember that we don't have to fear let us take this time this morning to remember that the body and the blood of Jesus Christ are truth. That his death and his resurrection were what we needed as human beings to be able to experience the love and the reconciliation to God that we're able to experience. God loves every person on earth. God wants to be at peace with us and it is only through confessing our sins and calling Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior that we can experience that peace here at Morning Hour Chapel if you've never taken communion with us before uh, I'm going to give a brief time for you to prepare your hearts prepare your minds in prayer if you have any sin that is unconfessed Confess those sins to God this morning. And then as you are ready, uh, we will have you come forward. Um, our deacons will uh, give the bread and the cup. We'll return to our seats and then we'll partake as 
a group. So please take a few moments to prepare. Jesus Christ came. He came to be born. He came to live. He came to teach. He came to die. On the night that he was betrayed, he sat with his disciples in an upper room. He ate dinner with them. And during the supper, he took the bread and he broke it. And he passed it around to them and he said, Take and eat this. This represents my body which is broken for you on the cross every time you eat this do it in remembrance of me let us remember jesus and the breaking of his body on the cross body of christ after supper jesus took a cup of wine he passed it around to his disciples and he said drink this all of you this is the blood of the new covenant. This is the blood that is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Each time you drink it, remember me, the blood of Christ. And let us remember that without the birth of Jesus Christ, there would be no communion. Without the birth of Jesus Christ, there would be no death on the cross. Without the birth of Jesus Christ, there would be no forgiveness of sins. As you leave here this morning, may the peace, love, and joy of Jesus Christ live in your hearts, be evident in your lives to those who are still lost, who are still seeking, who are still needing a Savior. God bless you this week.